0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. I'm Mike Calameco from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. Today is Monday, December 5th. I'm one of your hosts, Jacqueline Raposo. I write about people who make food. You can find my work and me as at wordsfoodart.com. I'm 35 straight and single. And
3: I'm your other host, Ben Rosenblatt. I'm an actor, writer, musician, occasional bartender and server. You can check me out at www.benrosenblattactor.com. I am 34 straight and in a relationship.
2: Today is our final show in our series on familial love, and we're discussing the foster family. What makes or breaks the relationship for the foster child with former foster child, lawyer, author, and advocate, Regina Calcaterra. So stay tuned for that later in the show. But first, we have a bunch of information to give you because we haven't really talked a lot about ourselves other than my messy haikus and your beautiful haikus and like we snippets here and here. They were beautiful in, not really in really of not really being haikus, um, but we've sort of had only snippets of what's been going on in our lives and since this is Ben's last live show until February 20th. That was the wrong. There we go. Yeah. There we go, David.
1: Oops. It was sorry, like the man. mixed
2: emotions. It was like, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm
1: happy for you, but there not you go. for us.
2: All right. Nice. Nice out there. Good cover.
1: Nice. <laughs> sure, so, David.
2: So we're going to get to that in a second. But Ben's Ben is not here until February 20th. And we're going to get to why. But that means we have five shows coming up for you in January. Next week is the last show of our season. I will be here and I will explain to you before the break what's happening. But uh, in January, when we come back, we have five shows in a row where we're featuring couples in the food industry, and we are so excited about them. Oh my God,
3: they're going to be so good.
2: They're just like warming our hearts and inspiring us... That you can have. Let's a do a happy... unison.
3: Uh, we've been doing Aww. a lot of this. Uh,
2: uh, yeah, that's been there's been yeah. a lot of awing happening. Um, so we have three of those shows that we're doing together, and then I'll be doing two of them alone live later on. So that's all great. And um, and then in the new year, we're also transitioning. Like we've sort of been doing already, out of being. Just a dating show and into a relationship show. Partially because Ben is in relationship now and partially because I'm tired of just talking about all of the nitty gritty about the dating process. And so I think there's just a lot more to talk about at a really interesting gutsy level about relationships.
3: Should we tell them? About what? The fact that my girlfriend's sitting right next to me. She is, so that's why right we also now.
2: can't really talk about dating. Right? <laughs>
3: It's Bring Your Girlfriend to Work Day it's here at Heritage Radio Bring Your Girlfriend to
2: Work Day. I'm just kidding. We're actually going to hang out after since Ben's got plans, So we're going to hang out and have a little girl time. You didn't bring your girlfriend. Jacqueline. I didn't bring my... Because <sighs> let's not even talk about my girlfriend. Um, I'm just... Anyway. So, but also my... We're, all right, we're not going to talk about my dating life today because it's actually, honestly, it's happening. I'm dating somebody... And it's fine. And uh, it's it's
3: fine. Sh- Don't <laughs> talk <not not> too <laughs> enthusiastic about it. the poor guy if he's listening. <laughs> no, it's not, like, not that I'm unenthusiastic. Un- it's not guys. that I'm unenthusiastic, <laughs> but if
2: you've listened to the show the past year and a half, it's another cycle and it's not whatever. When something is, ve- is making me feel very excited and confident and shareable and it, when something is feeling like something we need to talk about, I will talk about it. But dating is not the most interesting thing in my life right now. It's just not. There are other more interesting things. That's good. Yeah. There are. Yay, Thank you for the Jacqueline moral support, has David.
3: Interesting things going in her life. I
2: feel like <laughs> <laughs> you're such an asshole. I'm so glad you're not gonna be here for so long. No, you're I'm gonna not. get this studio all to myself. You're
3: gonna miss me so All right, much. Peanut
2: Gallery back there. Alright. All right, let's I feel move like we on a morning show on. now. Let's move on. I'm d- d- how quickly the tide turns. Um, all right. So let- let's get down to brass tacks, as the phrase is said. Okay. Um, so let's talk about you, Benjamin. Let's talk about me. Pull up, pull up the couch. Pull up, pull up the couch. Welcome me, to my office. So, Ben, you're leaving for Portland Center Stage to star in their world premiere of Astoria. Not like Astoria, Queens, where you live. Another Astoria. A journey. A historical, factual journey. That has huge impact as to why our country is the landmass that it is. It's, it's an a, important story to tell. It's a very important story to tell. So, so listeners, we're not going to tell you the whole story because that would take an entire show. But you're going to be – so you leave on Sunday?
3: I do. Oh, my God. I leave on Sunday. Oh, my <laughs> leave God. leave on Sunday.
2: So let's focus on the relief. Whoa. So, I'm not
3: ready. I haven't done shit. I haven't packed. I haven't – Prepared anything. Well, you've got
2: almost a week, but let's talk. Let's focus on the relationship part while your girlfriend's in the room. Um, what have your this is trouble? This
3: is trouble. <laughs> well, we're She's still... shielding her face right for now. this week.
2: We're still a dating show, so you're stuck with these questions.
3: Okay, okay. Hit me. Um,
2: so, what have I mean? Have you guys had a discussion as to as far as like as to how you will, you know, keep up your daily schedule? I mean, you sort of told me when I asked you this like a week ago. But like, as far as how, like, how do you all right, how do you communicate on a daily basis right now? Since couples differ,
3: yeah. Now we like text here and there throughout the day, and I mean, we spend a lot of nights together. And then if we don't spend the night together, typically there's a phone call, um, like before bed, to just you know catch up on our days and you know a phone call say before I love bed. you and and
2: and and
3: and you know and. have have crazy for phone sex and, you know
2: and with all the toys we're going to talk about on the <laughs> um so <laughs> it's awesome
3: i could pretty much say like my girlfriend's sitting right next to me but i can kind of say whatever i want because she's not she doesn't have a mic to her lips Don't, so there's a mic there's, there's of... one
2: three feet away so be careful <laughs> i have i have told you that she could join the show I'll turn it on
3: <laughs> okay. no no no, no, no never mind i'll
0: behave i'll behave i'll behave
2: <laughs> i love the power dynamics
0: Okay. Okay. We're
2: gonna have to get so serious question, during the please. commercial Next break. Question, so, how have you? So, ha- have you discussed how you're going to transition while you to you know to communicating while you're gone? You're gonna have you know pretty packed rehearsal days. You're gonna be under a lot of stress. You're gonna be a different time zone away. So, have True. you discussed how that's gonna work? I
3: mean, yeah, the time zone thing is something that I didn't even wasn't even really thinking about that much. Um, you're welcome. But yeah, I mean, my days are gonna be busy with rehearsal. Um, and I've already, and Deanna has already seen how.
2: You just said her name on the radio for the first, first time. That was the very first name. time. Well, all right, you're outed. Okay. Sorry, D. Okay.
3: <laughs> anyway, she knows that I can be a crazy person when it comes to my acting work.
2: Well, she's an actor as well, so that makes sense. I mean, that's how you guys met.
3: Yeah, it is. But it's strange because, like, during that production, like, it was pretty, like, chill. It was kind of like a very light and fluffy comedy. And it was, like, you know, fairly, I don't want to say easy, but it was, like, you know, it wasn't the most, it wasn't material that really made me have to, like,
2: well, the the role you have coming up is very unique in that it's it's the kind of role that actors want to get that you rarely get. The kinds that scare the shit out of you. That it's like the good kind. I yeah, mean, it's
3: really meaty. Really it's hard. really intense. Yeah. It's a dark, dark man, um, and so I just know that I am going to turn into a perfectionist and I'm going to turn crazy as I'm trying to figure out like how to make this work on stage, um, and so I'm hoping that. Um, she can have a little patience with me while I, uh, you know, probably come to her with my struggles and my, you know, the issues that I'm having as I'm approaching the role. Um, But outside of that, I think it'll, you know, we plan to, I'm sure we'll be texting throughout the day, hopefully as usual, and we'll plan to Skype and stuff like that in the evenings. Um, I'm going to
2: interrupt you, because on a deeper level with something that you just mentioned, because technology does fill in the gaps a lot in ways that it didn't 10 years ago. Um, you know, when we were both doing shows 10 years ago and traveling or whatever. But, like, you just mentioned the, the deep, dark part of this role. And I don't know about you, but I found when I was performing, it was hard to sort of separate your regular life from when you're re- when you're knees deep. In the rehearsal process, trying to tap into something, it sort of brings you to the pl- wherever that place is. Like you just mentioned, you were in a happy, fun play when you guys met. I can find, I found on both sides of that, like, are you worried that as you, that you're, you're, you can be a very deep, dark person, you? And
3: anyway, can, I, I think I understand the question. Okay, and like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it remains to be seen, I guess, is the Do answer you- to that question. I typically,
2: are you going to be a guard? I get. For I it, I, guess, is the I feel like
3: I don't typically get into a like the same type of dark place that my character is in necessarily. The for me, the darkness comes in my in the form of my own uh, inner critic, and um, my struggle to feel like I'm doing good work and to bring the type of performance to the stage that I want. Um, and so I feel like. I'm more concerned, and I could be surprised, hopefully not, but I'm more concerned with, you know, feeling like I'm doing good work and that I'm not going to be sort of like too stressed out about that and too frustrated about that to, you know, carry on open and, you know, I get a little self centered perhaps too when I'm. Working on that because I'm just like so focused on my work and myself in the work that you know I hope that I can remain being the giving and you know be there for her in the same way that gotcha. you know she I trust will be there for me.
2: All right, so before we take our break, um, I want us to each quickly sum, in, sum up in one sentence. What we most want... Can it be like
3: a really long run-on sentence? No, okay. No.
2: Um, what we most want out of ourselves. So either what we most want to focus on or what we want to accomplish or achieve between now and when we see each other in mid-February. So what do you want most out of your life?
3: Oh God. I mean, that's is- No,
2: and I'm not talking about some huge, like, oh, I want the show to be... Blah, like, But as far as what you have control of, your actions, what do you want to focus on what do you want to, what, you know, in the same way that we've done this for to, ourselves. I want to, here we go, I you want know?
3: to excel in my professional and personal life. I want to, I mean, ma- no, st- I, I want to make, I mean.
2: I mean I, I, no, no It was making more like, you know, we've given ourselves goals and tasks. Yeah. Like, what is your, what is your main goal or task or focus that you want to have?
3: Yeah. To, that's, that's an
2: end game. I want to excel at. That's not a plan. You know what I mean? Okay. What's a verb? Excel. Well that's not really an active verb. Like a I mean I guess move forward, but I mean you know what I mean?
3: I want to you go first. Give me an example.
2: Okay. Well to sum up, since I'm not we're not gonna go through all my stuff. Like mine is like mostly work stress and I have been doing this my Arab abstinence cleansing shit, which is, you know, now things overlapped and one ended and another started and I've got a lot of work stuff on my shoulders and the romance stuff has been up and down and I'm I'm feeling very muddled. So my goal between now, starting the sentence, my goal between now and February 20th is to focus myself moment by moment so that I can execute as much clear-headed work as possible. Okay, you prepared that. No, No. I didn't. I said it right now. I knew it was going to be something about focus and work, but that sentence was (sighs) what it was. Okay, all right. One sentence.
3: Okay. I want to, between now and February 20th, um bring my best self to my work and my relationship done period there you
2: go very good all right so we have a little bit longer of a commercial break than normal today right now so um sorry lead into the commercial break uh so before we take it i want to fill you in on two things first at the top of the show at the top of the season sorry i was out of the country and so Ben kicked us off with The Bro Show. And now that he's going away next week for our last show, I'm taking over with an episode that I'm calling Single and Fabulous, or the Best Ladies Who Lunch round table Show Ever. We've got in the studio Aaron Fairbanks, the ex- the exiting executive director here at HRN, Jen Dahl, YA author and penner of the memoir Save the Date, and Lindsay Rupp, writer and podcast host over at Bloomberg. Then recording some single lady content we'll discuss on that show are returning guests, writers Jane Allison and Jamie Feldmar, as well as Julia Bainbridge, the food writer and host of the Lonely Hour podcast. It's going to be a massive show covering both the powerful and painful parts of being a single lady in today's world, so please come back back next week and join me for that. That is our, li- our last live show of 2016. And speaking of Lady Writer guests, after the break, right now, we are welcoming lawyer, author, and advocate Regina Calcaterra to the show. And I want to give you just a little background into her story. Regina has four siblings, all from different fathers. They share a mentally ill mother and childhoods of abuse and displacement. In her memoir, Etched in Sand, Regina shares a journey of growing up in the middle of a pack of siblings with scrappy survival instincts. Somehow, they managed to grow into successful, loving, healthy adults because of and despite of their experience with the foster care system. This is our last show in our Family Love series and the first show ever tackling the foster care experience. So we've asked Regina to come on specifically to shed insight as to what worked and didn't work in her own experience. We're very excited to have her here, so stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Souchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin, make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Green County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Souchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru surchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com.
3: Regina Calcaterra Esquire is the author of Etched in Sand, a true story of five siblings who survived an unspeakable childhood on Long Island, and the co-author of Girl Unbroken, a sister's harrowing story of survival from the streets of Long Island to the farms of Idaho, which she wrote with her sister, Rosie Maloney. She serves as second vice chair to the foundation board of the State University of New York, as an ambassador to Library for All, and on the advisory committee for the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. She formally served as longtime board member to You Gotta Believe, an organization that works towards finding older foster children forever homes. She speaks nationally on childhood poverty, resilience, the plight of foster children, and how we can positively impact a child in need. Welcome to the show, Regina.
4: Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. We're so happy to have you here.
2: Thank you for coming on. Um, So to start, even before we get into the foster care system and your experience with it, uh, four siblings, uh, being a family of five is a story in itself. So what do you think it was about the bond you had with your siblings that was particularly strong from such an early age between the five of you?
4: Well, we were born to the same mother who had five kids by five different men, and our mother was, and they didn't stick around after we were born, and our mother was mentally ill, and she wasn't diagnosed and wasn't receiving the proper medical care, so she self-medicated through drugs and alcohol. So here was this woman who couldn't take care of herself, let alone the five kids that she had. So what she would do is she would find us these places to live, If it was not in a house or an apartment, we wouldn't be there too long because we'd get evicted. Um, But the other places she would find us to live would be behind a supermarket or out of a car. We lived on the streets and in homeless shelters as well. And she would just leave us there for weeks at a time. So she would find us these places and just dump us there. So because of five of us, um, had to rely upon each other for survival. We stole food to eat. We kept each other warm. We went dumpster diving for clothes for each other. I mean, the things that we had to do at a young age out of necessity is really what created the bonds that we had because it wasn't just a sibling bond. It was, it was a survival, that, that our instincts that were necessary that in order to, for each of, individually each of us to stay alive, we had to protect one another to do so as well.
3: Yeah, wow. Um, Before you were separated from your siblings, what adults did you look to in your life as role models who provided kindness to you or, you know, helped make a difference in your life? And what was it that those adults may have done for you?
4: the the um, the unfortunate circumstance is that we really didn't have a parent, and I'll just speak for me. I didn't really have a parent that was showing me options and opportunities like every parent usually does for their kids. And um, but there were were adults in my life that um, would that were teachers, even though I moved around a lot and went to a lot of different schools and was a transient kid but I was still before right teachers at the right time. And there were librarians and there were crossing guards and there were friends of parents. And they each played a different role. So it was the teachers who were constantly tell me how smart and talented I was, that I had to stay in school, and my only way out of poverty, and my only way to determine my future is to get an education. And they were constantly encouraging me and building up my self-worth. It was librarians who were, not, were doing the same thing and letting us into the library, even though we were five homeless kids. So we would have a safe place, and they would do the same thing by building up our self-worth and our self-determination by showing us the right books and being patient with us. It was the crossing guard that, you know, on a Friday night on my way home, home from school, whatever my home was, she would hand me a bag of food, knowing that I wasn't going to have food for the weekend if I wasn't going to be in school. And then it was the friends of parents who would invite me over to their house, even though I was a rad tech kid living in the middle of a suburban community that was very, some very nice communities I lived in, but I was really living on the fringe of society, and those fr- um, parents of friends would invite me home and tell their kids to bring me home, and they would not only feed me and wash my clothes, which was a very big thing because the only time our clothes were being washed is if we did it by hand, and they would t- have me take a bath or a shower. they give me toothbrush as I said we stole food, but we weren't too busy stealing toothbrushes as kids, so we needed that. But the most important thing that they showed me for the short time I was there, whether it was a night or, or a weekend, was a healthy home environment. So I was fortunate enough to have these people in my life, whether it was learning about a healthy home environment by going to a friend's house or going to school or to a library and being encouraged, that those are the ones that made the difference because. You know, as a a poor kid in the United States, there are a lot of resources you could take advantage of, and we say that all the time, and and it's very true. But you can't expect our youth in need or children in need to Figure out how to take advantage of those resources if no one teaches them how and no one builds up their self worth and tells them that, that they can believe in themselves and others believe in them. So it was those individuals, and there's a lot of them, even though I was a transient kid, that made a difference and encouraged me. So then I was brave enough figure out how to harness the resources that
3: were available. I'm listening to you speak about this with such clarity on the effect this has had over the course of your life. And I'm curious if you might be able to speak at all about um, what you thought at the time of the role these adults were playing in your life, these teachers and parents of friends and anything like that. Did you realize at the time how much of an impact that was having on you?
4: Not not at all. I mean, I, I was a very fearful child. Um, You know, any child who is abused and abandoned is timid, and I was full of fear, and I was full of distrust of any adult. Um, but, But even though that's how I felt, and I was incredibly guarded, I was also somehow open. I was open to those who were kind to me, so even though I didn't understand the impact that they were making at the time, I was open to allowing them to make that impact. And I think that that was important um, for me to be able to absorb what it was that they they were giving me. And only later on in my life did I start kind of connecting the dots about how it is I managed to pull myself up and out. It was because of all of these kind acts.
2: On the flip side, when you were separated from your siblings and put into the foster system, did you notice a judgment against you from either the social workers or the families that you were with just because you were a foster child. And if so, how did you work against it or did you ever succeed or were you even aware of it at the time?
4: Um, You're very well aware of being judged at at a very young age. And I remember, um, being you know told around the time i was seven or eight years old that when i grew up i was going to be a drug and alcohol addicted teenage pregnant mother who's going to be homeless and incarcerated because who abused their kids which who is tell- what my mother was i'm sorry who was and, telling
2: um, you that within this within the programs
4: it would be it, well it would be um for, um parents of these kids that I would try to befriend, because mm. remember they were good parents, but they were also bad parents, telling right. their kids to stay away from me. And it would be my mother's family members as well, just saying I was just going to turn out like her as well. And um, so those were the ones that were saying you're you're good for nothing, and you're going to end up like just like your mother, and this is what you're going to be doing.
3: What about peers? And
4: what about peers? Yeah. Well, peers. Well, well, you know, children are children, and 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 they get their. Um, biases sometimes from their parents and they get their kindness from their parents and um so it would vary i would have children that would ostracize me but i would also have children that would just want to befriend me because they were curious and maybe thought that they could be helpful and it's just you know it's human beings and she you know human characteristics you've got good and bad in, in every single person and but that is, those are the things that would happen but you know, sometimes I was placed in wonderful foster homes. I mean, the good fortune that I had is I had some really wonderful foster homes and I had some pretty horrific foster homes. So it balanced out. And um, But I, I kind of divided the foster home placements into three three types when I was younger um, to deal with um, um, how was I was going to judge them and they were going to judge me. They were the parents that were warm and wonderful and were going to take care of me for that short time that I was before them. So Eventually, when I warmed up to them, I would let them. Then there were the force of the parents that just did this from the money. They were getting a paycheck, and I was getting a bed. And it was okay, because at least I was in a better situation being in their house, as long as it was a safe house, if they were getting paid for me to be there. And then there were the parents who were getting paid and then those uh, then they would sexually or physically abuse us in the home. So it depended on the kind of home that you were in that um as a child, um, that um different coping mechanisms um kind of kicked in. You know, foster kids are are incredibly resilient and, and we're we're intuitive because we learn to um, get a sense and trust our tuition, uh, intuition and get a sense of people at a young age because it's it's, it's survival skills But like I said, but every phase of my life I've had teachers that you know one teacher when I walked into a classroom I mentioned this in X and as soon as I walked in the first day She introduced me and she said class. This is Regina. She's a foster child She won't be here this that long. She's going to go in the lowest reading and math class mm. I mean um, groups and I remember ignoring what she said about me being a foster kid, even though I realized right away that ruined my social life for that time I was there, but, um, but I fought with her about being in the lowest reading and math class um, because I knew that I should be in the highest one because I did very well in reading and math. And um, so you would get those judgments passed as well, so you would, as a kid, either fight to get looked at differently or just realize it wasn't a battle that's worth fighting because you weren't going to be there that long.
2: Well, what might have been looking back, what might have been something you were struggling with a roadblock of your own that you could not express or work through at the time as you were going from family to family or something that you weren't able to sort of express or find somebody to help you with at the time?
4: It's the general inconsistency of being a foster child. The only thing a foster child can count on is chaos and inconsistency. And you can't express that to anyone unless they're actually going through it. And, um, you know, the one skill that that many foster kids have is they know how to organize chaos because you're you're constantly moving and you've got to find a safe space every time you move and you've got to figure out how to wake up every day, put one foot in front of another, and get through the day. So – so that was always very challenging because sometimes people think when they bring you into your home that, that you're going to be their home, you're going to be okay. But they don't realize that you were placed in their home because something bad and traumatic really just happened to you. And a lot of times we were as siblings were separated. So not only were um Either um, one of us abused and the police figured out what was going on, but the trauma of being separated from your siblings compounded. It. So it was very hard to articulate that as a youth because many families, you know, when they brought you in, expected you to appreciate being in their home, and, and, and because it's much better than where you were, but as a kid growing up in this type of system, in this type of environment, I always thought it was better for me to deal with the better the devil that I knew than the devil I didn't know. I would much rather be with my mother, even though she abused and abandoned us, because at least I would be with my siblings, and we protected each other when we were together. When we were placed in foster homes, we were separated, and we never knew whose hands we were going to be at the mercy of. And we weren't there to protect one another even though sometimes we ended up in good homes we'd much rather not take that chance so these are very hard things to articulate as a child that you would just rather be stay in the abusive situation than be in a safe foster home and you don't want to be separated from your siblings and you don't know how to survive uh, you know day to day with nothing you're just moved around like a little pawn, like a dog going from home to home until some family's going to the right family's kind of going to take you in and um, and you can never express any type of disappointment with that because you were supposed to be, uh, you know, appreciative of what they were doing.
2: For one of those good homes or for one of even those medium homes, for uh, for any potential foster parents who might ever listen to this interview... Looking back, what would you want them to know about something that is really valuable on their end or something that works in the relationship, especially in the, in the first couple of days like you mentioned of, of transition and sort of creating order from chaos and settling in and, and coming from something that might have been very, very bad into a safe space? What is a vital thing that a foster parent or a foster sibling can do to make it a little bit more okay? That, that, that is such a
4: great question. They should never try to cut off a um, foster child's connections, whether that child has a connection to an aunt, a teacher, a librarian, a friend, a parent, someone from their prior communities that they lived in. That's the only thing that that grounds them. That gives them a history and a sense of place and a sense of being. When you prevent them from calling or emailing or doing anything with communicating with these people, you, you, you're you're going to anger them even more because and what you're ultimately doing is isolating them. When you take a child into your home, you're taking that child's history as well, and you need to let that child have that history and embrace it, so at least they feel safe there, that they can go to their contacts and have a relationship or whoever. The those contacts are and they could still be in a safe place because if you don't allow them to do it they're going to um, rebel against it you need to respect the fact that these kids are coming you coming to you with others who loved and cared for them, and allow that to continue
3: how would you say that the sum of all the experience that you've been talking about and the experiences that you had growing up as well as your experiences sharing your experiences in your books um, how has that shaped the way you look at people today and the way you interact with others as an adult?
4: Um, I, I think the thing that it, my, well, all of my experiences put together growing up has given me perspective and given me balance. And um, I realize what's important and what's not important. And it has, um, it, prov- it provides me patience, a, a lot of patience, um, understanding that. Um, little things may affect people that that don't affect me, but but those are things that are important to them. Um, But they're not things I'm going to let affect me. So I think growing up the way I did has allowed me to have perspective because, you know, on another hand, if you think about how is it that I grew up the way I did, and now I'm sitting here, I'm I'm a partner in a law firm. I have have two published books. I have my four siblings close by. I have 12 nieces and nephews. I have a um, daughter myself. And, um, I have a whole I own a home you know none of this should have happened so so I am really appreciative of all the blessings I got but also I'm um, uh, like have a great perspective for and uh, for what I have
3: that's amazing and it's like you sound like an amazing success story and I am just again listening to you like I'm amazed by how uh adjusted you you are. And it seems like, and I don't know, but it seems like you've done so much work on yourself, which is incredible. My question, my next question is, I guess, are there things still that come up for you, things that you struggle with as a result of your experience um, that you feel like you're still kind of, you know, bashing up against? Like, where are you right now? Are you like, do you feel like, yeah, I mean, I guess that where are you right now with things?
4: I I think the the thing that I struggle with the most and which I have been struggling for for a few decades now is that um, kids are still being abused and um, certain caseworkers are not doing their jobs and children are still dying um, at the hands of abusers and in and out of the foster care system. And that's the thing I struggle with, it's not necessarily me, it's just wondering how is this still happening? Haven't we evolved more as a society? Aren't people, should people be reporting more? Should others who detect things be reporting more? And how could there be um, certain caseworkers? not all of them, because many of them just burden down, but have a lot of burden, um, but, but looking the other way. That is the one thing that that, that it bothers me on a daily basis every time I pick up the paper. what Just wondering that. And, and the other one is the number of foster kids that are out that are out there that age out you know what happens in the united states we have 400,000 kids in foster care and every year 26,000 of them age out to nobody but themselves at the age of 18 or 21 so that means they're on their own in this world without an adult and with very few little adult connections and with very few resources and that is why many of our older foster youth once they age out and the homeless aren't or incarcerated. And that is something else that I'm burdened with is just wondering why isn't that, that people are more open to parenting older foster youth and, and giving them forever homes. And, and and I think one of the reasons that people are just not aware what happens to them and, and aware of the plight of older foster kids. And if they were and they realize that they get kicked out of their foster home when their foster parent stops getting money from them at eighteen or twenty one that it may change things. So that is another thing that I'm burdened with, is just knowing what's happening to other foster youth in the pipeline um, who are about to age out if they don't have anyone else and where they're going to end up and how unfair it is to them that they were born into a situation that put them in foster care to no fault of their own, and now they're being pushed out into this world without an, an adult connection.
2: At the beginning of the interview, we asked you what adults in your younger years sort of gave you, you know, pep talks to keep on going. So especially for older children in the foster care system, what bit of advice would you give them regarding a focus to keep as they hopefully find forever homes, but potentially also, like you said, a large number of them do age out of the system as well. And at a very young age have financial burdens and independence to deal with. So what is a piece of advice as somebody who got a very high level of education and as a partner in a law firm, what is something that you would tell them to keep focused on as they are in this middling age that is tough for, <laughs> tough for any kid?
4: Yes. I, 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 this is one of the reasons. I wrote Etched and Sand, which is my memoir for two reasons. The second one was the reason why I told you about just reminding people of the power they have that moment in time when a child in need is before them, that they could really have an impact, like many people did with, for me. Um, but the first reason why I wrote it is for many kids in, in foster homes who are aging out and many other kids who were just kicked out by their family is that to let them know that there are enough resources here in the United States that you can harness and take advantage of, because they're there. But you have to believe in yourself. And the only way that you're going to do this is that you have to be open to letting others help you and you just have to get up every day and put one foot in front of another and walk up that hill because once you do at the end of the day you're going to be a day closer to your goal and i tell them don't make lofty goals make goals that are one year down the line or two years down the line and get to that goal and then you're going to see once you achieved it you're going to be ready to go to the next one and eventually you will be there that's exactly it took me a long time to get to where i was without a safety net um, and it's going to take them a long time too, but one day they're going to wake up and they're going to be 30 years old, and they'll have a degree, and they'll have a home, and um, there would have been a lot of hard work that went into it, but they'll be at a better place if they just stick to their goals on a daily basis.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today, Regina. We really, really appreciate your time.
3: Yeah, what a great guest yeah. you were today, and thank you for really shedding light on a topic that You know,
2: yeah, huge topic, and I'm glad we got to dip our our toes into it with you for the first time today. Thank you. Perfect. All
4: right. Well, thanks so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Our pleasure. All right.
2: Okay. Bye bye. Listeners, you can find more about Regina and her work at www.reginacalcaterra.com and about her and her books on our website, lovebitesradio.com. That is our show for today, Ben Benjamin. I'm don't cry, here. don't cry. Come back next week bad, for baby. our badass, baby, single, I'm and bad. fabulous episode. Don't forget that it's giving season, and we'd love for you to throw our scrappy and loving team at Heritage some of your tax-deductible donations. So head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen to all of our 54 past shows. Wow, plus we're getting the, old. I know, plus the 30-plus other weekly shows on food and food policy they produce, and to throw a few bucks our way. Thanks, as always, to our engineer, David. Our theme song is Give Love by Josh Dion, and we are Ben Rosenblatt, and a very sad to see him go, Jacqueline Raposo. I will be back next week with you at the same time, right here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. See you in a few months. <laughs>